Well, good morning, church. It's great to see you today. Welcome to Victory Life Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. It's great to see you. My name's Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great honor to welcome you here this morning. If this is one of your first times joining us, we want to extend a very special welcome to you, those of you joining us online and those of you joining us here in person. May I encourage you to check us out at vlchurch.com. There is a banner there that says, Are You New Here? If you could click on that banner and fill out that form, I will communicate and connect with you uh, sometime this week. Uh, speaking of connection, we have lots of ways for you to do that. We have a lot of life groups that are going on. We've been talking about this over the last few weeks. Life groups provide a great opportunity for all of us to go deeper into God's Word while going deeper into relationships uh, with others. You likely received a handout when you came in today that gives you a listing of all of our life groups, and so uh, I encourage you heavily this morning uh, to fill out that form and drop it off and give it to me at our Welcome Center on your way out, and we will get you signed up uh, for a life group. You can also sign up for one as well at our website at vlchurch.com. For our women, you probably received a handout that says Women's Craft Night. It looks something like this. And that's upcoming here in another uh, week and a half or so. And they're going to be on Monday nights. The first one will begin on October 4th at 6.30 p.m. And they will meet successively there every other week on Mondays uh, thereafter. If you would like to learn more about this great opportunity to get connected to other women in our church for some good fellowship, please stop by one of our tables outside. One of the leaders of the Women's Craft Night, either Kelly Bossel or Lauren Ritzinger, will be out there at that table to answer any questions and so that you can get uh, signed up for that particular uh, opportunity. Also, I want to mention the fact that we are starting something that we're called, calling Children's Intensives. They're going to be a six-week uh, children's uh, series for both parents and children. Uh, the class for children will be focused on building a biblical worldview for them on their level, and it's going to be for first graders through sixth graders. We will have child care for nursery age uh, young ones. Uh, the classes will be broken into first through third grade and fourth through sixth grade, and then at the same time, uh, there will be a class for parents to learn how to build a biblical worldview. We're really excited about this, so parents will be uh, focusing their efforts on being, becoming equipped with the tools and skills necessary to build a worldview based upon God's Word. And the focus of this series really is centered around answering one main question that so many of us ask in our lifetime, especially as we are raising little ones, and that is, what is truth? What is truth? Jesus said, I am the truth. And so a lot of the discussion will be centered around how we can find truth um, uh, based upon God's Word and what Christ had to say about it. So we're really excited about that. That'll start October 13th and go through November 17th on Wednesdays from 6.30 to 7.45 p.m. And I'm told that details about registration for these classes will be coming from our children's director uh, this week. Uh, last but not least, I want to do make mention of the fact that we are really excited about having another baptism service on November 7th. Uh, baptism is of utmost importance, as you likely know. Uh, Pastor Matt preached on it last week. Jesus himself was baptized, 
And, you know, if the Lord is pursuing you to take this next step in your faith, we encourage you and invite you uh, to consider this seriously. Uh, If you'd like to learn more about baptism, you can actually click on the banner that you see on the screen there on our website at vlchurch.com, and it will take you to a page that explains everything you need to know about baptism. And then there at the bottom, you can click on a form to get signed up for baptism. But as always, if you have any questions about it, please reach out to us. Reach out to the church office, and you can set up a meeting with one of our pastors. And we always have a baptism class on the day of baptism so those getting baptized can learn more about it. Well, that's all I have in the way of announcements this morning. If you've come to worship the Lord this morning with your tithes and offerings, you know you can text to give. You can give online at vlchurch.com backslash give. Or you can give on your way out this morning as you exit the sanctuary. But certainly thank you for giving to the Lord Jesus through your tithes and offerings today. Can I ask you to stand this morning in preparation for worship today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we invite you into this place right now. Father God, we invite you into our minds right now. We invite you into our hearts right now. Speak to us, Lord. And help us listen. Show up here. Help us to see you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's worship him together this morning. He's a God who's worthy of our worship. And he's worthy of our praise. So we're going to shout out to the lion and the lamb today. Hey! 
Generation 2 
before we pray out of worship, I want to talk to you young disciples here this morning. You kindergartners through sixth graders who we have worship with us here on a Sunday morning. I'm talking right to you, young disciples. Right to you. The Lord is good. And the Lord is real. And he has a plan for your life, a plan for your future. And the reason we have you worship with us is because we want you to see men and women who know that to be true worshiping. They worship the Lord because they've seen the goodness of the Lord. They raise their hands and surrender because they know when they surrender to the Lord, God shows up. We worship in this place today because we believe that God has a hope and a future for you and for his church. And I don't want anybody to ever tell you that God's done in this country. You know why God's not done in this country? Because you are here. You are going to be the ones who bring the gospel to the next generation. You are the ones who are going to experience the goodness of the Lord as we have. And you are going to proclaim Jesus to the nations. That's why you worship with us, young disciples. That's why you see people raising their hands and singing and even dancing a little bit before God because they know God's good and they want you to know that God is good too. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you today. We have seen your goodness and your faithfulness and it has been displayed to every generation. I pray, Lord, that we as adults would never let our mouths grow silent about the goodness and the faithfulness of the living God. For it is through Christ Jesus that we have been saved. It is by his spirit that we have been made new. And Lord, it is by your superintending hand that every good and perfect gift that we've ever received has made its way to us. God, I pray that we would always be willing to declare the praises of the one who has died for us and given us new life. And I pray today over the next generation, our young disciples who are here, God, I pray that they would see the goodness of the Lord in the land that they're living in. Not the land that we once had, but the land that they're going to claim for Christ Jesus. And I pray, Lord, we would have a faith, not a heathen fatalism, but a faith that the Lord Jesus has so much more to do because the next generation will serve him with all of their heart. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Well, thank you, worship team. I've never heard that song before. AJ tried to send it to me, but I couldn't get Spotify to work. But uh, I enjoyed that immensely. So, and if that didn't get your fire going, then your wood's wet. So, uh, because that's, that's where it's at. No heathen fatalism in the church. We believe that, in, as with every generation, the Lord has work to do. And we need to declare the praises of the work he's done in our generation and expect that he's going to do them in the next generation. And because of that, we're going to dedicate some young ones to the Lord today here at Victory Life Church. So I'm going to invite our children's director, Jody Kiesler, to come. And uh, Jody's going to tell you a little bit about why we do baby dedication here and what some of these flowers signify. And as she's coming, Jody, you can come right over this direction. I'm not going to stand over everybody because... There'll be people coming, but we're going to invite the Haars and the Yoders, and we're going to invite the Thompsons, and I, I didn't know which service was which, so I had to look at the names, so we have people being dedicated second service too. Why don't you come and bring your little ones, 
And uh, you can come right now, and we're going to pray over your little ones. But, uh, Jody, we've got a, a number four microphone for you here. And uh, you can tell everybody a little bit more about what we, why we're doing baby dedication and, and what these flowers signify. So you guys can come up here and stand next to, next to Jody here. I don't know, is it on? There, there we go. Um, baby dedication is a wonderful opportunity for parents to commit themselves to raising their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And at Victory Life Church, it is our privilege to join with them in committing to growing their child in God. And just like the song said, you know, the parents can tell it to their sons and daughters, but it is all of our jobs to tell it to every generation. And that's our wonderful privilege here. So we have our first family, Kyle and Amanda Yoder, and their son, Henry. And we will present each family with um, three roses. The white one is for the father's leadership spiritual leadership in the household and the red one is for what the mother has given to grow that child and the yellow one is because our children are more cherished and more treasured than anything we could ever acquire Um, yeah that's beautiful and i had no idea what the roses represented so that's why we have a children's director to come and tell you and 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 that's why she could call the last children's director (laughs) to make sure we got it right so well this is very special this morning and uh, it's special on two levels with the Yoders here because Kyle and Amanda have been wonderful members here for a number of years, but this is their last Sunday with us as well. So you didn't know I was going to do this, so. Uh, but they're going to be moving back to God's country, uh, Wayne County, uh, just, just in the next couple of weeks. And so they've been wonderful volunteers for years in our children's ministry. So we're going to pray over little Henry, but then I, I invite you to pray over the, the Yoders too as we send them off from our body into another community of faith. So we do this thing at Victory Life. We just have you stretch your hands towards this little one as we lay hands on Henry, and we're just going to dedicate this guy to the Lord. He doesn't say hi yet, but he does say outside, so we're proud of him. So, Heavenly Father, we just lift little Henry before you. And God, I thank you for Kyle and Amanda. I thank you that they want to lead him to Jesus. They want him to know you, and they want him to serve you every day of his life. So, Lord, we pray for Henry today. God, we pray that you would just bless him and keep him all the days of his life from sickness, harm, or disease, Lord. We pray, God, that you would raise him to be a mighty man of God, that he would serve you all his days with fervor. God, we pray that there'd be men and women in the halls of heaven one day because Henry touched their lives. God, I pray that you'd give Kyle and Amanda wisdom. I pray that you'd give them strength. I pray that you'd give them a a peace about how to lead their children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as they grow. And I pray, Lord, that a blessing would be over their household. And God, as we say farewell to Kyle and Amanda at this time, we pray, God, that your blessing would go with them, that they would be able to serve their, their next community of faith the way they've served this community of faith. Bless them and keep them and use them for the kingdom of God. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Your dad promised you'd be fun. And you were. So, Jody, would you go ahead and and give these things to Kyle and Amanda, and then they can move on. So, great. Thank you. 
All right. See, you don't have to stand here the whole time. Who has to go last, Jody? That's all I want to know, right? Who's, well, whose baby to has to stay in good mood the longest? So. so next up, we have Sarah and Brandon okay. Haar and their son, Carson. All right, look at Carson. Hey, I'm going to come over on this side of Carson. So Brandon and I used to play tackle football together. I don't play tackle football anymore. So, but uh, I, I am so excited to dedicate little Carson to the Lord today and um, just ask that the Lord would just be all over his life. And uh, let's just pray. Would you stretch your hands towards little Carson today? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this life, for this gift. It is more precious than gold or silver. God, we thank you for this little guy. And God, we pray throughout his life you would keep him from sickness, harm, and disease. And Lord, that he would be raised to be a mighty man of God. I pray that every life he touches, Lord, would be changed for the better because he knows you and he serves you. I pray that you would give Brandon and Sarah all types of wisdom, Lord. I pray that you would give them all manner of wisdom, Lord, in which to lead him and guide him and raise him in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I pray that you'd give them strength when it gets hard, and I pray that you would give them peace, Lord, when, when they need that peace. God, I pray that, that his life would be set apart from this day to serve you, and I pray we would come alongside them as a church family in every way possible to make sure that Carson is the man of God we're all praying for him to be. We pray these things in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. This is the first time I've seen him out of the carrier. Hey, good to see you. We have a gift for you too. She and did good. She did good being last. She did last. great. Yeah, very impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. We have Dale and Lisa Thompson and their daughter, Avea. That is a beautiful bow, Avea. My daughters are envious right now. So around. We're going to pray for little Avea. Would you stretch your hand toward Avea this morning? Heavenly Father, we just pray over this precious gift today. We thank you for her. We thank you for the gift that she is. We thank you, Lord, for the joy she is bringing and will bring to Dale and Lisa and all of her siblings, Lord. We thank you that you already have a plan for her life. And today, Lord, we are just praying and committing with you for all the good things you have to do through Avea. I pray that you would raise her to be a mighty woman of God, that, Lord, she would be completely invested in your kingdom, in your gospel, and she would touch many lives for the kingdom of God. I pray that you'd give Dale and Lisa all types of wisdom, all types of discernment, all types of peace when it comes to raising her in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. I pray that you'd give them strength when they need it, I pray that you'd give them peace in the hard times. We pray that you would protect her from sickness, harm, and disease, and that, Lord, she would have the ability to raise and grow strong, both emotionally and physically, but also spiritually, Lord, that she would make a great impact for the kingdom of God. God, we commit as a church today to coming alongside Dale and Lisa and doing our part in raising her in your ways. And, Lord, I pray a special blessing over their household. In Jesus' name. You know, 
we're a clapping church. And I think it's a beautiful thing that these parents have done today. I say it's beautiful because um, what the parents here are doing this morning is something physical to match the spiritual. And we talk about that all the time here at Victory Life, that God loves when we do physical things to match the spiritual. And the nurture and admonition of these children, it's a spiritual thing. It, it, it's something that they desire. It's something that they'll pray about. It's something that for years to come that they'll depend upon the Lord for. But there will be a day that they'll point to and say, we dedicated you to the Lord. And we did that publicly because this is the way we've decided and believed that we should raise you. And there's power in that. So well done, parents. Well done, little ones. There was no screaming today, which is wonderful. And uh, we look forward to all the marvelous things that God's going to do through these little ones, Carson and Henry and Avea. Well, young disciples, you may be dismissed down the hall with Miss Jody to get a message on your level. You'll be studying the same thing we're looking at today. So we're excited about that. So parents... Before the Browns game, but at lunch today, your first servicers, so you, you have some time. Uh, ask your kids, hey, what did you learn from Acts chapter 7, or I'm sorry, Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 9? What, what, what happened there? And uh, you'll be able to talk about that. Uh, and if you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. That's where we're going to be this morning. I want to give a plug this morning for something that's taking place this coming Wednesday night. Every quarter, it is our desire here at Victory Life to offer a workshop. A workshop is not like a workshop like Santa's workshop. Our workshop is our, our life group that is based in sharing the gospel and helping Christians who really feel that they should be sharing the gospel and really feel that they should be instrumental in helping other people come to faith work on that. And so the workshop is something that we've developed, and it runs hopefully every quarter from this point forward. It's eight weeks, and it's designed to help folks get sharing, help folks get moving in evangelism. Now, I know that many of you might be in this place, and you're already in a life group where you're already involved this fall. And I would say to you, that's wonderful. Don't overextend yourself. But if there's the chance that there's a few of you in this place tonight or today that would say, you know what, I really feel like someone's discipled me. I really feel like I'm in a good place with the Lord, but I really don't feel like I've been actively engaged in pointing people to Jesus, and I need to do that, and I need some accountability to do that. Well, then the workshop's for you, and I would encourage you to sign up on Planning Center or through our website or even talk to myself today because the workshop is a powerful tool And I will tell you, when folks go through the workshop, other folks come to know Jesus. That happens. It works. The workshop works. And so if you feel a burden on your heart today to begin to share the gospel more than you have been, I would encourage you to come. Tom Corey's going to wave right now. Tom's going to be facilitating that group. He's even going to stand. He wore a sport coat today. So, yeah, he's allowed to stand. I'm kidding. But uh, Tom's leading our workshop on Wednesday nights, and I I would just say to you, if you're stagnating a little bit, it's the thing to do, because God wants you to participate with him in what he's already doing in the world. And I will tell you, we will not teach you a method of evangelism and then invite you to go to the riverfront, all right, or invite you to go door to door. The workshop's based on what are you gifted in? What's God calling you to? 
and can we help you to get there? And so if you have free time on Wednesday nights, we'd love you to sign up for the workshop and be a part. We've been talking this fall about Pursue, Connect, Ignite, and we really believe that God has some igniting to do with his people and with his church. Just what we were singing about in that song today, The Land I'm Living, and that God's not done. God is still in the business of bringing people to salvation. God is still in the business of bringing people from afar off to salvation, and he wants his church to participate in that. But we've also been talking about how different the world is than it was 70 years ago. I've said many times that it seemed like 70 years ago the difference between the Christian and the non-Christian at the Billy Graham conference was whether or not you had a personal relationship with Jesus, not whether or not you identified as Christian on the census. Well, there's a lot more roadblocks to Christianity today, a lot more that stands between people and coming to know Christ. But we believe with all our heart that as Christians pursue the voice of God and get their leading from him, and as they become very intentional about connecting those folks that they interact with to the church, because the church is God's mechanism in the world, that the church will continue to ignite and continue to grow, and our church is going to continue to ignite and continue to grow. But I saw something this week as I was studying that I thought was a gap. As I've been teaching these last four weeks on either the concept of pursue or connect, I, I felt a gap in our ability to move into everything that God has for us. And I want to talk about that gap. I want to talk about what it takes to become an igniter. I told you that we'd be talking about pursuing the voice of the Lord or connecting people to the mission of the church. And I have a story today from Acts chapter 8 and 9 that fits both of those categories. But there's a missing link. There's a piece today that I want to talk to you about that helps us get from the point where we're pursuing the voice of the Lord and interested in having people uh, connect to the mission of the church, but, but we're just maybe missing something. I want to talk about that missing something today. So today we're going to look at a story, once again, on how the pursuit of God's voice, coupled with a serious desire to connect someone to the mission of the church, ignites the church. We've been studying those, those moments in Scripture. So I want to take you to a very familiar story and then I want to take you to a very unfamiliar part of that story. So you're going to have to journey with me a little bit today. So if you've got your Bibles and you're in Acts chapter 8, we're going to read a little bit of 8, but then we're going to get into 9 and to see the gap that we need to surface in order to become someone who helps ignite the church, we're going to, we're going to look at 8 and 9 today. So as we begin to read Acts chapter 8 verse 1, we're on the heels of something. And the heels is something not so good we're on the heels of the first martyrdom of the Christian faith. A man named Stephen, one of those gentlemen who was placed in charge of distributing the food, we talked about these folks three weeks ago, he's been killed for his faith. And that's where we pick up the story in Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It says, And Saul approved of his execution. Now we're going to talk a lot about this Saul fella, but let's keep reading. And there arose on that day, after the death of Stephen, a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, that's the twelve disciples of Jesus. Now there were devout men who buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But this fellow Saul was ravaging the church. He was entering house after house, and he was dragging off men and women and committing them to prison." 
So we have this gentleman named Saul who was present at the death of the first Christian martyr, and he's into it. He's happy about it. He's approving of what's just happened. He's watched what he believes to be a Jewish heretic stoned, and he's pleased with it. So pleased is he with this stoning of Stephen that he's going to go ahead and become the chief persecutor of the Christian church. His desire is to stamp out this heretical sect of Christians who called themselves the way and make sure that they don't survive. The problem is Saul is smart. He is educated. He's not just a ruffian. Forgive me, he's not Dog the Bounty Hunter. He's something far greater. See, he, he studied, we find out, in the school of Gamaliel. That's like the Harvard of Judaism, all right? He's a great rhetorician. He is a, 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 a brilliant man. He's also a Roman citizen. He has a lot of things that is going to make it so that he can persecute the church and he can do it strongly. Now, I want you to skip down to chapter 9 now. We're going we're gonna to skip over some stories about a man named Philip and get back to this Saul character. But as we skip down, I want you to know something. This story, if you've been in church, for most of you is familiar. Nod your head if this is a familiar story to you. Okay, but we're going to go to an unfamiliar part, so stick with me. We just got to get through some things here. So we're in chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest in Jerusalem, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that is Christianity, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So Saul is now extending the mission of persecution. This is a bad dude. And he's got enough pull, and the high priest, which was a very political office at this time, has enough pull to have extradition orders placed for these heretical Christians who called themselves the way. He's going to go 130 miles north to Damascus, and he's going to start rounding up Christians there and dragging them back for trial in Jerusalem. This is a bad dude. This is everybody's worst nightmare. But this is still familiar to many of you. And I told you we need to get to an unfamiliar part. But to get to an unfamiliar part, we need to read one more familiar part. Look at verse 3. Now, as Saul went on his way towards Damascus, suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he says, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with Saul stood speechless, and hearing the voice, but seeing no one. So Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now, if you're looking at this just on the surface of things, we might be seeing a story of divine retribution, right? God's going to get this guy. Now, not that you've ever prayed that God get anyone. Hope you don't pray that way, and if you do, then, well, we got to talk. But, but, but it just looks on the surface like God is, is in the story participating in divine retribution against this Saul, but, but that's not what's going on at all, is it? Because Saul is blinded, Saul is told to, get into, to, to go to Damascus, and then what? God says, I'll show you what to do. 
This is an interesting point. God is not interested simply in making sure that Saul identifies Jesus as Lord. It's not enough for God. God wants more out of Saul. God's not in the business of just having people recognize who Jesus is. God is in the business of bringing about true regeneration. God's in the business of making sure that those who acknowledge Jesus then serve Jesus. And even though we're still in the familiar part of this story, I must remind you today that it's important to recognize that we must not stop with people when they recognize Jesus. Because if we stop at the moment that they recognize Jesus and their discipleship, we certainly stop short of God's goals for them. Okay? We certainly stop short of God's goals for them. Now, thank you for doing all this pre-work with me, because now we're going to get to the unfamiliar part of the story, perhaps the part that you don't remember quite as well. Look at verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and Ananias says, here I am, Lord. Just stop right there. If God ever speaks to you, it's really dangerous to say, here I am, Lord. Just, if you read your entire Bible, that is the wrong thing to say. The right thing to say is, I've got a little bit of sinus congestion and I can't hear you because God's going to ask you to do something tough. Look at verse 11. The Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. You can still go to Straight Street in Damascus today. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard about this man from many. How much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of mine name. Now let's stop there. We have a few more verses to read before we close today, but I I just want to ask you a question. Who is Ananias? Who is this guy? Guess what the Bible tells us about Ananias prior to this introduction? Nothing. Ananias is ordinary Christian dude. That's it. That, that we don't know anything about him. We don't find out until chapter 22 of Acts that, that, that here, here's, here's a great character sketch. He was well respected in Damascus. That's all we know. That's all we ever know about this guy, except for this interaction with the Lord. What's going on here? Well, first, Ananias gets a vision. And I find it interesting that he gets a vision and then hears the voice. Isn't that kind of funny? When you think vision, you think something coming across your mind's eye, but he's actually hearing the voice of God. So you say, so Pastor Matt, if I get a vision or I hear the voice of God, what is it? I don't know. I don't know, because he's getting a vision, but he's hearing a voice. So here's my, here is my theological definition of a vision. You ready for this? A vision is something stronger than an unction. You're welcome. <laughs> say, please define unction. Well, we joked about this a few weeks ago. An unction is a Christianese word for God speaking to your spirit, and you know you got to do something. Like, like you ever been going through your day, and you see somebody that's obviously having trouble, and God's like, go talk to them. And you're like, I don't have time to talk to them. They might think I'm a weirdo. I don't want to talk to them. 
And the Holy Spirit says to you, go talk to them. And you have a moment right there to either obey the unction, right, or not. Happened to anybody here? Am I crazy? No, it's happened to you, right? So, so I would say a vision, something stronger than an unction, right? Something real specific, something big. One of those moments with God that you cannot deny, okay? Sometimes you have these in worship services or you have these in your prayer time where you're like, God is speaking so strongly and I need to do something about it, except that Ananias doesn't want to do anything about it. Ananias is scared. Let's think about this from a very human perspective. You know this guy, Paul, has the ability to clap you in irons and drag you back to Jerusalem for trial, and God says, go lay your hands on him. Now, I envision this. You know, the cuff's going on. And this is what Ananias is envisioning. This is my worst nightmare. This is a guy that's persecuted the church, hurt the church, been bad to the church, and you want me to go pray for him? I don't think so, God. And God says, I want you to go. I want you to go, Ananias, because all of this is bigger than you. That's my paraphrase of he'll go before Gentiles and kings and even the people of Israel. All this is much bigger than you. I need you to go. And that's something I think is important for us to note. That when we get something from the Lord that we're supposed to operate in, something that, that, that speeds our heart rate up just a bit and makes us say, God, I don't want to do that. Do we have a faith that if we do, it's bigger than us? That God's not just going, well, you know, this is a test of your faith. Do you, do you trust me? But, but there's the possibility that if God is speaking strongly to us as we pursue his voice, that, that he wants us to do something that's bigger than us. I remember a number of years ago, it's got to be a decade, we had planned to take a missions trip to Mexico. And we were going to work with a church down there and do some evangelism. And we also had some extra money for a big project. And at that time, right before we went, it was during the time that the drug wars were so violent and so much death was happening, and there had been violence, terrible violence, right in the province that we were supposed to go to. And I remember as the leader of this trip, I didn't know what to do. So I, I passed the buck. I went to our elders, and I said, guys, I don't know if I feel good about taking 13 or 14 of our 18, 19, and 20-year-olds to Mexico because there's so much violence right where we're going. So they prayed, and then they said, go. And I remember thinking, well, well I'm glad they're elders because if I would have prayed, I don't know what I would have done. They told us to go. Well, at that time, we laid the foundation for a little church in Jalisco, Mexico, the black tar heroin capital of the world. Bad stuff. Black tar cocaine, black tar cocaine. I don't, know, I don't know drugs. Long story short, bad stuff. Bad stuff. And since that time, we have gone back to that church, and we've had folks from this church build their children's wing. And a number of years ago, this church right here bought them another property because God was winning so many people to Jesus. Now, could God have got his work done if we hadn't listened to the unction, listened to, listened to that moment where we have to put our faith over our fear, he probably still would have got the work done. I don't doubt it. But I'm so glad we got to participate in it. And our faith was bigger than our fear. And if the elders would have said, no, don't go, just as Paul was once told, no, don't go over there. I want you to go over here. We would have listened. But God had something bigger in mind. 
The other thing I want you to note about this Ananias fellow is not just that there's something bigger, but God is pleased to have everyday, average, ordinary Christian dude, Ananias, participate with him in what he's doing. I mean, think about this. Why didn't God just finish the job? I mean, Jesus has already made a light shown from heaven, spoken audibly to Saul and his companions, and blinded the guy. Could God not have just finished the job without a human agent? Absolutely. He could have. There's a woman in this church. She'll be sitting here in second service. I once asked her, hey, how'd you come to faith? She goes, well, I was walking through my dining room one day, and Jesus spoke to me. Like, if only it were that easy for all of us. That would have been great. God could have finished the job, yet he wants to use a human agent. Isn't that interesting? Because he just does that all throughout Scripture, because it reverses the curse. The fall is people saying, I want to do things my way and pursue my aims and my dreams and my goals, and it got us in this world of hurt. And to reverse the curse, God wants us to go, no, I want to do things your way and, and pursue your goals and put myself in a place where I do work for eternity. It reverses the curse. Ananias is part of the reverse. So God sends Ananias because someone needs to connect Saul even further to God's plan. Someone needs to connect Saul to the mission of the church. Someone needs to make sure that Saul ends up a discipled and contributing member of the faith so that Saul does not end up a free agent Christian. Look at verse 17. So Ananias departed, and he entered the house. And laying hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you might regain your sight. Stop. Now I want you to look back at verse 12. This is all that Ananias was instructed to do. Look at verse 12. See, God said, this Saul has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. Okay, I'm making a point here. Let's get back to verse 17. So Ananias departed. He laid his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Ananias is outside the will of God. God didn't say that. God didn't say be filled with the Holy Spirit. He said just pray that he might regain his sight. Where, where, where does he get this gumption? Where, where does Ananias, where does he get this, that he can just pray for Saul to receive the Holy Spirit? How dare he? He is average, ordinary dude. He doesn't get to go beyond the voice of the Lord. He needed to pray, go regain your sight, and then run before Saul arrested him. That is all that God asked. But Ananias apparently doesn't listen very well and goes ahead and goes beyond the mission. It gets even worse. Look at verse 18. And immediately something like scale fell from Saul's eyes and he regained his sight. And then he rose and he was baptized. Well, are there any other Christians to baptize Saul there at that moment? No. So who had the gumption to baptize him? Average, ordinary Christian dude. Ananias. How dare he? God had only said, pray that he regains his sight. Why would Ananias pray that he regains his sight, that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he was baptized? How dare he? Well, you know how he dared. Because that's what you do. 
That's, that's being Christian. That was the mission of the church. You see, not only did he have to believe that God was actually going to do what God said he was going to do, he had to hear the voice of the Lord and move, but then he unashamedly connects Saul to the mission of the church. you got to be baptized. This Holy Spirit is for you and your children and all who are far off. That's Acts chapter 2. So the Holy Spirit needs to come upon you because you're not supposed to do Christianity alone. So I'm gonna, I, I'm, I, I, didn't, I didn't hear from the Lord to pray that, that you, you needed the Holy Spirit, and I didn't have to hear from the Lord to make sure you got baptized. I just heard from the Lord to come and pray for you that you might be healed. But if you're going to be healed and you are my brother, did you notice Brother Saul? I wouldn't have used the term brother if he'd been imprisoning my friends. I would have used another term. But he calls him Brother Saul in faith, assuming that his, his belief in Jesus is already taken care of, and he goes ahead and connects Saul to the mission of the church unashamedly and unabashedly. How did he get there? See, this, this is the question I'm asking. What, what gap needed to be filled for Ananias to ignite the faith of Saul? Well, I have to say something before we answer that question. Just in case you did not know, Saul became Paul. You know, the writer of Romans and first and second Corinthians and first and second Thessalonians and Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians and more than that. Saul is the one who goes as Paul and starts churches all over the Mediterranean world that filter down into the churches that are here today, all you Gentile Christians. He, he had to suffer a lot. God made it clear. I need someone this zealous because he's going to have to suffer a lot to get that done. But, but I, I need you to see that Saul became Paul. And Saul became Paul when someone crossed the pain line. That, that line by which you say you have faith, but then you have to actively engage in that faith. And that's what Ananias does. His faith extends beyond the walls of church in such a way that when he gets a vision, he acts by it even if the sliver of a possibility remains that he might be getting dragged back to Jerusalem in chains, he still goes. And this is an important concept for me to give to you. This is the gap. When we talk about pursuing the voice of the Lord and unashamedly connecting people to the mission of the church, it's not going to be easy. You might just have to cross a pain line and go... I'm scared, and I'm nervous, and this doesn't feel good, and no one's going to be singing a worship chorus over me as I do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. See, this is the path to becoming someone who ignites the church and ignites the faith of others, that you're willing to go, I will take risk, because I trust the voice of the Lord. And I want to make it abundantly clear that, that, the, that the Lord... The Lord does something in Ananias to make it possible to cross the pain line. Because Ananias crosses the pain line when he is convinced that God is already at work. God says it twice to him. He, God knows what he needs to do to build Ananias' faith. He needs to say, Ananias, I'm already at work. Saul's already been blinded. He's already seen a vision of you coming. 
You don't need to worry that when you show up, I'm not there already. Okay? So, so don't, don't, don't try to get tough today. Don't try to go, yeah, yeah, I'm going to cross the pain line with all of my friends and all of my relatives. I'll do it all in one week. Good luck. In fact, I'd wait for an unction if I were you. But if we want to become people who ignite the church, we do have to cross the pain line. But how did Ananias get there? God convinced him that he was already at work. God does it twice. He goes, he's already seen me. And, oh, by the way, I have a plan for his life. What if in our comings and our goings, what if in our everyday lives as we try to live out this faith in Christianity, we were convinced that wherever we go and wherever God has led us, he's already there? And what if we were ultimately convinced that, 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 that if he was already there, that he is preparing people for our arrival. I know it's tough, folks, to, to think about pointing people to Jesus and listening to that voice and unashamedly connecting them to the mission of the church. But God is already at work. In fact, in most of this Christian life, if we could get our mind wrapped around this fact, we would change the world. When God calls us to do something, we are just showing up to witness and participate in what he's already done. That's faith. Not that we're going to have all the right words and do all the right things, but, but, but that when God calls us to do something, when, when we're praying at home and asking the Lord to speak, when we're asking him to use us for his kingdom. When our life group is pursuing the voice of the Lord together and praying and saying, God, God, take what we've learned tonight and, and help us to go use it, that God is already in the place that you're going to use it. That's what Ananias becomes convinced of. He doesn't need to become convinced that if he lays his hand on Saul that the eyes will be healed. He doesn't need to be convinced of that. He doesn't need to be convinced that Christians should be filled with the Holy Spirit or, or be baptized. He doesn't need to be convinced of that. He needs to be convinced with all his heart. <laughs> like I said, I didn't hear that song until this morning. That he would see the goodness of God in the land that he was living in. That God was already there. That God was already at work. An average Christian dude was called because God loves average Christian men and women to participate with him in what he's already doing. So I know there's many of you today that are pursuing the voice of God, saying, God, I want my life to matter for eternity. And I know that there are many of you today that you're bought in. You're bought into the idea of how how Victory Life works and how I connect people to the mission of Victory Life. I will unashamedly ask them if they've been baptized. I'll unashamedly ask them if they've given their life to Christ. I'll unashamedly say, hey, we have growth track. That'll help you get connected. I'll unashamedly invite people to life groups. I'll do those type of things because that's how we disciple people. That's not the issue. The issue is that day by day, it's hard to cross the pain line and do what God's urging you to do. 
But what if we were convinced that God was already there waiting for us on the other side of the line? What if we ask God to build that type of faith in us? I believe the church would continue to ignite and become an entity so powerful and so strong that just as Jesus said, the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Will he find such faith in us? Well, let's pray and ask for it. Would you bow your heads? God, I don't doubt that so many of us are becoming more and more open to hearing your voice and your leading. We want to make an impact for you in this world, and we know that it's going to take a spiritual work, not just a hands and feet work. And so many of us know that the church, the local church, is your vehicle of discipleship for men and women. And we should unashamedly connect people to the mission of the church because you called us to make disciples. But Lord, I've experienced the gap. Sometimes I don't want to cross that line of pain, that line by which I might feel embarrassed or make a mistake or, or feel like I'll be a stumbling block rather than a blessing because I'm scared. I'm scared about whether or not you're going to be in that action and whether or not you're going to be in that moment. And Lord, I need to get over that because I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. And you need to use average, ordinary Christians. That's your desire. And I feel like if I might feel that way, maybe somebody else does here today. God, there was a time when your disciples were so overwhelmed at what you were asking of them. They said, increase our faith. God, can you increase our faith today? Could you help us to learn to trust that when you speak and ask us to move that you're already there? You've already done the work. You just want us to witness and participate in it. Can you help build our confidence in you to such a level that we can participate with you in igniting your church and your kingdom in and around us? Perhaps you're in this place today and you would say, Pastor Matt, I'm with you. I'd love to be an Ananias. In fact, I know God's calling me to be one. I know some of who my souls are, but I'm scared. I'm scared. Or maybe you had a word from the Lord this week and you ignored it out of fear or concern. And you want to be ready the next time. Would you join with me in praying for faith today? And I would just ask you very simply, I'm going to do it myself. Just turn two palms towards heaven as a statement of, Lord, increase my faith. Increase my faith. Increase my faith. Do it right now. Two palms towards heaven. Just do something physical to match the spiritual. I'm not looking. I don't care. It's between you and God. Just do something physical to match the spiritual. Oh, Lord God, increase our faith, we pray.
There are Saul's around each and every one of us. And there is an Ananias in each and every one of us. But Lord, we need to trust you. Lord, we need to trust your voice. We need to trust the leading of your spirit. And we need to trust that you are already there on the other side of our trust. Oh God, I pray by a supernatural work of your Holy Spirit that the next time you speak to us, we would move trusting that you are already there at work. And that God, you would use our humble efforts to build your kingdom in and around us. We pray these things today in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Would you stand with us today? This is very practical, the last thing I'll say to you before we leave. Some of you will get an urge, an unction, (laughs) to do something for the Lord this week. He'll say, move in and do something. And I want you to pray right in that moment. Lord, increase my faith. Ask him. Ask him. And then move. And then move. And then when you come in next week, you can share the testimony with the person you're sitting next to about how God moved. Because he does this sort of thing. Somebody prayed for you. Somebody moved in with you. And you can be an Ananias to them. God, we pray that you'd send us from this place with your blessing, with your leading, with your guidance. May we be men and women who make an impact for you in this world. And may we trust the voice of the Holy Spirit when we hear that voice, that you are already at work and that you are already there and that you will use us mightily for the kingdom of God. Dismiss us now with your blessing, we pray. Amen.